This episode of the Final Forecast is brought to you in part by the Book Exchange, where Mountaineers go since 1934. Check out their two locations, downtown Morgantown and Evansdale, or online bookexchangewv.com. Recorded live in Morgantown and across the world with your hosts, Kevin Jones, Deshaun Butler, Sean Flowers, our lovely co-host, Ashley. This is the Final Forecast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Final Forecast podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Deshaun Christopher Butler. Oh, it's Jay Flo. It's Kevin Jones. And we have our lovely, 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 non-sexual harassing, lovely co-host, Ashley. That's me. And today, we're going to talk about... What do you guys want to talk about? Well, first of all, we have to guess. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to Yeah, didn't notice the man oh, next to me. Apologies. Damn amateur. That's amateur is out. This is amateur out. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> we have a guest here, uh, Joe Mazzula. Woo, Clap it up, Current assistant coach for the Boston Celtics. Mzula, our guy. What's going on, man? Not good. much. How you guys doing? Everything is great, man. Well, not as good as you, but cool. doing pretty close. decent. So. Trying. Just trying to We're trying. Get past ends of me on these ends. Trying to trying to figure out when Joe's gonna get to his bougie phase, but it will be there soon. It's not gonna happen. We'll see if you'll hit me. big Thomas eventually. You're kind of affected by the people that surround you. Yep. So. Your legs are crossed. <laughs> yeah, right. This is small. I've always sat like that. You have, <laughs> the last 10 years, you have like, sat like, like this, but I'm going to bring it up now. You've changed. It's not going to happen. Do coaches act different, though? Like, I mean, I think it just depends on who you are. Like, there's in the environment that you're in. But, you know, the coaches that I've been around. You said that about, like, the managers. Like, as time goes on, they just become. But you have to be different, right? You don't have to be an asshole, though. I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes it calls for that. But, you know, I think we've seen managers grow in our environment, and you have to just adapt to what you are. When you're a manager, you, your relationship with the players is going to be different. It's different with the coaches, and then you usually go from a manager to a GA, so then your responsibilities are different, and you have to distance yourself to an extent. And That's GA true. to ops. I agree. I, I mean, I get that, but I feel like don't change your personality if you like if you were always an asshole when you were oh sorry kids right here yeah we did it, you were, forgot to mention that my three-year-old son oh yeah sorry his today. three-year-old son's here so <laughs> sorry i just dropped, the words and <laughs> dropped that word Is this if you were already if you were already had that attitude when you were like beginning stages then when you were at the higher stages okay you, i'll accept that but if you were a great guy like if you always said hi to everybody and then you just stopped doing that yeah. as the levels go up that's just i think that's different were you ever a great guy if that was the case <laughs> Now, I do agree, though. You should always try to stay consistent. And I think, I think you know, when I was a young coach coming out, that was a lot of advice that I got was, you know, be be who you are, be consistent, but, like, players can, can sniff out, you know, if you're being authentic or not. Can we hear uh, the phone in the background? And no matter the level, no matter the level that you're at, I think it's just about being authentic. And, uh, you know, kid, kids, players, high school, college, NBA, they're, they're smart. And uh, they'll know if you're being fake, you know. So I think that's important more than anything. So how does it feel though, like coming where you came from, and now being reaching this level of success this fast? Like a thirty-year-old. I mean, I wouldn't say it, I've reached the level of success. I wouldn't say it was fast. I mean, it's been eight years, uh, nine years. That's not fast to be at your level, assistant coach for the. I, I don't know what's fast. I really don't get into that. I mean, 
I mean, are there a lot of other 30-year-old coaches? In the I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm fortunate sure that there's only roughly 180 jobs in yeah. the world uh, that I just received. So I know that's, you know, it's a blessing and fortunate there. But how's it feel? I, I don't know. I mean, it's... Has it hit you yet? Like, this, no, no I, that, that part hasn't. You know, everything happens so fast. Um, you know, just end, end of the season, immediately turned over into fundraising and recruiting. And I was really looking forward to, you know, what's funny is I felt like I hadn't learned to become a head coach until the end of this season. <laughs> like, I felt like I had a grasp on uh, just everything in general. I think it just takes time. So I was really excited heading into this offseason. We started summer school, I think, June 23rd. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about what I had planned for summer school from a leadership standpoint. And I felt like I had learned and I had failed. And uh, I felt like I had just holistically figured out how to be a head coach. You said you failed? Yeah, I mean, I think I failed n- numerous times in my two years as a head coach. Uh, as far as what, like a winning standpoint? Or what, what makes yeah. a successful head collegiate coach? I don't, just because you fail doesn't mean you're not successful. I think, I think people play too much into that. I think in order to succeed, you have to have small failures along the way. So, I mean, I was, I think, I don't know, 43 and 17 or something like that. But my first year, I didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, You know, so I think that's a small failure in itself with the expectations. Um, The second year, we were 8 or 9 and 0 in the league to start. And we lost to like the second or third worst team in the conference, which, you know, that's a failure. Um, that's just a. Uh, but those, I mean, but, lose. okay, maybe like, to, to me they're not failures, but they're learning. So like yeah, I don't get that. I don't get discouraged by failures, but things aren't always going to go your way. So you know it's how you manage those. Gotcha. And I felt like I had done a great job managing the little failures that I had in two years, and I was ready to to take that next step as a head coach in year three. Gotcha. It's mm. crazy. Our most valuable lessons in life are learned from failure, not success. So, you know, keep Did you just Google that? You. Nope. Yeah, Kevin. Wow. Said, Kevin you, said this earlier, everyone. <laughs> I thought Dave was just looking up, oh, like, yeah, uh, I I John Wooden quotes or something like that. Jones, Kevin Jones, that's, that's me. Once again, when a uh, smart man yeah, says John something, Wooden, you write it down. Kevin Jones. John right Wooden, Kevin Jones. Re- read that again, though? Googling smart stuff like to say. I already called me out. What did you say about it? No, but our most valuable lessons in life are learned from failure, not success. But, you know, that's a great... I mean, I, I, mean, I think failure is a strong word. I just think when things don't go your way. Just small missteps. You're yeah, talking about so, things that you can learn from. You know, like my first year as a head coach, we were like 21 and 9, which like a lot of head coaches who've been coaching for 10 years haven't gotten that record. So they would be like ecstatic to have that, whereas that was somewhat of a failure based on the expectations and where the program that I was coaching for. So like how do you handle that? And I think your, your take on, on successes and failures and the way you look at the game is part of the reason why I guess the Celtics, you know, the Celtics wanted to hire you. So I guess I would say, uh, what what was the pro- what was that process like for you between choosing to stay at Fairmont State mm-hmm. or going to the? Celtics? So that's how I applied God's will and like faith. So I'm you know I'm always searching for wisdom in how you handle situations. So um, you know one of the things my wife and I chose to do is we always wanted to be exactly where God wanted us to be. Uh, whether we liked it or not. You know, I think that's important to, to seek that out. So, you know, we had done Glenville for two years, um, and then I moved to Fairmont. Um, the first year I lived there without her and our, our stepson, and then they came up, and then we were at Fairmont for three years, and then a situation came where I could go to the G League in Maine, and I left my family. I left my wife, stepson, and Manny was just two months old. So I left my wife when she was working a full-time job, going to school, and having both kids. Oh, wow. um, but we felt like that was what God wanted us to do, and I felt like we used that as an opportunity to be 
a good example for families and married co- who are in coaching and say, hey, you can have a, mar- a marriage, you can have a family and still make ex- sacrifices and still do things. Um, to, you know, that doesn't have to be a roadblock necessarily. It can be an opportunity for you to teach. So I did that for a year and then came back to Fairmont for two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when the Celtics came, it was just, okay, where are we at right now? Do we feel like we fulfilled everything we needed to do? You know, and we felt like we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, I, I'd probably say in my three years at Fairmont, there was about four or five NBA jobs that offered, but they weren't, what, they weren't where we felt like God wanted us to be and they weren't what was best for our family. So what do you distinguish um, the choice and God's will? I mean, I just think it comes down to where can I best be of purpose and opportunity for other people. But the, the year before, when I spoke with Danny Ains and I went oh up to the Celtics facility, he Who said, did you speak with? Danny Ainge. Spoke, did he speak back? Yeah, he spoke back. <laughs> yeah, it was a conversation. Was a great conversation. Was I know, right? Conversation. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, I told John to stay in one specific area. He made it to the kitchen and was making a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> while I was making my sandwich, Danny came up and we had a nice little conversation. He said, uh... He offered Joe the job before. He's just telling me how much he liked Joe. Like, he's a great person. He said he didn't take the job because you wanted to look out for your coaches and make sure they were in a good position to move on. He just didn't want to leave them. Yeah, so, they, I mean, there were other jobs I didn't want to mention. There were other jobs in the NBA that just weren't what was best. So, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, the salary wasn't conducive to making sure my family was 100% comfortable. Uh, the timing was different. So the NBA calendar and the college calendar are different. Are different. So when they offered me a job the first time, I felt like if I would have left, I, I, di- I didn't do a good enough job from a leadership standpoint pre- preparing my staff for the next step two yeah. years ago. Um, so, you know, like I said, in, in college, most hires are April and May, right after the NCAA tournament. The NBA, most are in July, right before or after summer league. And July... Is usually when you start summer school, your coaches have either passed up or taken jobs already, and they're committed to the rest of that year. So when um, you know Danny and I had a conversation the first year, it was the begin. It was the end of June, early July. Um, it was going into my second year. We hadn't made the NCAA tournament. I just felt like I wasn't. I felt like I hadn't done fulfilled my purpose to Fairmont. I felt like I haven't given them back enough. I felt like I haven't led my assistants um, to where if I were to leave, they would have been you know comfortable or in good situations and I just felt like the relationships weren't there yet so I said no I, you know it's not a good time right now um, but what I did was use that as an opportunity and say hey something might come up I have to do a better job of leading of pouring into people of being purposeful so when it does there's a better foundation here and then we can kind of move forward so the second year it came back around um, my staff was much more comfortable with it I felt like um, I had prepared them better. We had a better foundation, and they've really supported it, and that made it much, much better. That's, that's dope that you actually cared about, like, the foundation that you were leaving the program in once you left because a lot of people would just pick up yeah. and say, like, I don't, I don't care, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Because I, I got my job, <laughs> so y'all, 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 y'all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you always want to leave a place better than you found it, right? So after my first year, we hadn't made the NCAA tournament. We had the whole team coming back, and I really loved the recruiting class that we had. So I just felt like... You know, I needed to fulfill a, a commitment and a purpose to, to Fairmont. And, um, you know, I think the other thing about that is you have to be comfortable where sometimes <clears throat> your purpose isn't just to win. Like, I could have stayed at Fairmont and said, oh, I want to win a national championship here. But, like, if you look at my track record, every t- place I left, they won after I left. So I left, <laughs> I left Glenville. They oh. won the conference championship that year. I left Fairmont the first time. They went to the national championship. Um, 
You know, so I think I don't know how to take that. I mean, <laughs> if you look at leadership, <laughs> we got, got we got. <laughs> you can look at it. <laughs> you can look at it negatively. To greatness. That's a greatness. <laughs> you can look at it nev- negatively, or you can say, you know, you try to leave a place better than you found it. And I, my job is to just align things, and and we all have different purposes so, as a coach. So. Most of those guys were your recruits, though. Huh? No, they weren't. Where at Fairmont? Oh, Glenda. No, they were a mix. You know, I mean, I had a couple. Rob Summers had a couple. The head coach had a couple. It's not about that. It's just what I'm what I'm getting at is, when you leave, you should always make sure it has an opportunity to be better. And gotcha. you know, you, people fall into a category. They leave, and you know, the organization suffers. And it's like, oh, they 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 suffered because that guy was so good. I look at it as if he was so good, they would have won because a true coach or a true leader is is looked at by how you are when no one's around. You take a look at Steve Kerr. He went out, and the Warriors ran. That's humility and leadership to me. Is mm-hmm. a coach can step away and you don't miss a beat. Right. You know, most people look at leadership as, oh, he leaves, the place crumbles. That's terrible leadership. You know, mm-hmm. that's not, that's not pouring into other people. That's not having role definition. That's not having accountability. So, you got to be in situations where, so if you Jackson. step away, I think Mark Jackson is a great leader. I mean, I, I think Steve Kerr does a tremendous job giving him. Uh, a credit for for starting that, and I think Steve there's Kirk gave him credit. Yeah, yeah, numerous times. Um, so I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about that. So let's <laughs> get we can. Is there any chance of you staying at Fairmont, or was it just like no matter what happened, let's just say you won a national championship, no matter what happened, you were leaving, or was it a process of like, all right, I think it's my so. What's funny is uh, I, like again, it goes back to like God's timing, our timing. After the season. I, I mean, we we had bought a house. I bought this sick minivan that's got like TVs sick in the back. Minivan. It is a nice minivan. <laughs> it is a nice minivan, right? It's too, so, it's too good for Boston, though. It's, it's not it's good enough. Too big for Boston. It's I can't, I can't parallel Boston. park. But I was rooted and grounded in Fairmont. So our family was happy. We had a uh, family car, house. Um, we were looking to redo my contract for long term. And like, I was just wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, so when that opportunity came, it was like, okay, is this what God wants or is this like. Is this what I want? And how do we make, you know, how do we discern that? So um, when they first called, I mean, it was a month process. I didn't really know what was going on um, or what to think. And then, um, you know, they gave me about 24 hours to think about it. And I went back and forth. It wasn't a very, it wasn't an easy decision. But at the last, you know, at the moment, I felt like it was the best decision. You know? yeah, that's tough, bro. I'm not going to hold you. <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the top of the top, basically. Yeah. And you have an opportunity not once but twice, and to sit there and figure out whether you, uh, you know, like you were just saying, is it a selfish reason you want the job, yeah, or yeah. is it a, exactly? That's a tough decision to make, yeah. and figuring out and deciphering which one it is, and then deciphering mm-hmm. whether or not you want your family and you to go. Like that's a yeah, it's a tough job. Bro. Got my check and I was gone. <laughs> yeah, you never want to make decisions for yourself. I mean, that's just not what I think it's about. I think there's a lot of, that goes into it. So uh, how do how do people take uh, in Fairmont? How do people take you leave? I mean, it was the most supportive. I mean, really? it was extremely supportive. You get any pissed off people? Um, no, I mean it was. You Not know, one. I, I mean, I think if you do things a certain way and you're transparent and you communicate, you know, when when the Celtics called the initial time, I had spoken to Fairmont's administration and said, "Hey, here's the call. If it's where I think it's going, I'm only going to have 24 to 40 hours to think about it, and we're going to have some turnover rather quickly." So. Um, like I said, I kept them in the loop for the entire month, and uh, I mean they appreciated it. I mean, I think, and I think that just says a lot about Fairmont and West Virginia in general. Like, how can you not appreciate an opportunity like that? I know? would love to meet the person that was upset. I mean, that y'all, damn y'all, idiot left for the NBA. Like, <laughs> shut up. I mean, y'all kind of went through it though. Like with. Beeline, he went to another college. You know what I'm saying? Y'all were kind of pissed off. Only reason I think we were kind of pissed off is because 
majority, like he was the first. Joe was like the first recruit. Yeah, so that's why you brought that up because like that that you played a part in me and my guys because you, we had four red shirts last year who were going to be freshmen. So like they had done everything I asked them to do, mm-hmm. and then we had five freshmen coming in. So like yes, the the way I felt when Beeline told us he was leaving played a part in how I was going to communicate to my team. Mm-hmm. So do you understand Beeline side more than you did when you were uh, 100%. 18-year-old, yeah. 19-year-old, whatever you were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I think the, you, you have no idea. And I don't even know if Coach Beeline could have shared with us why he was leaving. Exactly. But as I've gotten through the ranks of coaching, I can understand why he left. To, you know, absolutely. Now. Now you can. Oh, yeah. 30. I would hope 31. Someone's not holding a grudge with another <laughs> yeah. grown man about taking care of his, his family and bettering his career. I think when you're that age, so we're getting dressed for the NIT game across the street from the Garden, and it comes on ESPN that, like, he might take the job. That's before the game. Exactly. Right? He might mm-hmm. take yeah. the job. Yeah, that'll happen right before the game. So, like, then we play the game, we win, and the crowd's chanting one more year. So then you're like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, we just brought in eight guys. He said we were going to be here the whole time. You so see something on the media. So you would have just been more transparent. I can't. I don't know what he's allowed to share at, at that time. I don't know what he's allowed to share. But what I learned from that situation was, if I'm ever there, yeah. I'm going to make sure I tell as much of the truth or as much of the facts that I can to my team. So actually, when the Celtics called, I told my. We have a leadership council, which is like four guys. I actually told them, so they knew mm. for a month. And they told. So the they had an. No, they didn't tell the team. I mean, I don't think they did. I trust that they didn't. But I wanted to get my. It was my. Uh, I had no seniors, so it was two juniors. Uh, three juniors and a sophomore. That was my leadership team. And as soon as the Celtics called, I met with them the next day. And I was like, here's the situation, um, you know, and here's what I'm thinking. So I wanted to get their take on it. So it's not that Coach Beeline did it wrong. It's just you just learn. Like, I'm, we don't know what he's allowed to share or not. Like, it could have been something with the athletic department. But I just knew I was going to be as transparent as I could with everybody around me uh, to prevent the feeling that I felt as a player. Yeah. So that first day... First day in the office in Boston. How, how'd you feel? I know. I felt great. You know, I was. You know, I know you had him with you, so <laughs> that makes that, everything. That, yeah, difficult. that makes everything. I was, like, was kind of. I was kind of like a stress reliever, though. Like you can literally. I don't. Keep that you, you can, he's the kind of guy. Not much of my life stresses me out. I think you're on that list. <laughs> John's the kind of guy you bring to heaven, and God's sitting there like, you might not know, get I'm in not today. Sure wow. Listeners. Our friends at the Book Exchange want you to look your best at upcoming football and basketball seasons. You can get 25% off the largest selection of WVU apparel and souvenirs at the BX with promo code BX4FINAL4. That code again is BX4FINAL4. You can use this code at either store in Morgantown or online at bookexchangewv.com. The entire family can look the best with thousands of name brand styles for men, women, and those mini mountaineers. But you had like a little documentary going though. Yeah, yeah. Without it. me knowing, I didn't know. Right. I, don't, I don't have social media. Oh, so yeah, like, yes. I don't know anything. That's oh, yeah, going he was on. giving minute updates. That's yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, it's <laughs> like a little chain. I love it. And all. How can you not document access? How can you not document this? I think the people were Because the people there are asked not to do that. That's how you feel. They do. They would have cameras there themselves. I think they got enough money for their own cameras. You could have. I don't think I think I'm kind of like aware of the situation in the place. Anyway, your first day on the job, man. I know that had to be like a surreal feeling for you. I know you knew about it for a while now, but just to actually be there and be around everybody, like how was that feeling for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think, um, you know, initially it wasn't because I kind of had been there before, oh, wow. and it just happened so fast. 
as soon as I got there, we got summer league practice. So I didn't really have time to take it all in. Uh, just trying to learn the system and, and do all that. But as time went on, so when we got back from summer league, it slowed down. You're there. You're, you're just getting into your routine every day. Then it's kind of like, uh, you know, this is really kind of happened, you know, and then just going through that process. But I think in order, I can't really focus on that as much because then I won't be successful and I won't be able to, like, work, you know. So I can do it a little bit. can do it in times like this with my family. But in reality, like, I don't have time to sit there and just you know, treat it like it's any other court. Yeah, I mean, job, like, like I'm here yeah. for a reason. So yeah, they sure. brought me here. I got to just do my job and I got to believe in what I'm capable of doing and I got to execute. So, so you, you, you weren't, like, starstruck by anyone yet? No. You think you will be? I mean, don't get me wrong. I was nervous in the no. sense of, like, if I'm running a drill or if I'm doing a workout, there's obviously nervous from the standpoint of, like, you got to be competent. you got to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, the thing I love about professional coaching as opposed to college coaching is, like, college coaching, you don't really have to know what you're talking about. You can just say something and he has to listen. You know? Like, well, this could be, like, the biggest bunch of BS, and it's like, well, coach said that we have to do it this way, right? Like, you don't even have to give the why. Maybe, like, the top 5% college coaches give the why. But it's the opposite in professional coaching, whereas, like, they're not going to listen to you until they know that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So you should, A, you shouldn't talk that much. B, if you do talk, it should be a clear-cut um, communication and you, and it's it's competent um, and then once you know that they trust you then you can kind of go into like your opinions but um, that's the that's the part that I love about it and that's why I think you'll be successful because all you do is study the game and watch film all the time when I think you shouldn't be watching film like at dinner or on vacation it's just watching film at six o'clock in the morning or at eight o'clock at dinner. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Why would I not watch film at dinner? This is what I noticed. Every time I look at him, he has his iPad on, he's watching film. I'm like, all right, we're on vacation. His wife was charting uh <laughs> shots from a workout earlier. Yeah. So we had we I mean we're on vacation. We, we talked about that. Either I'm, if I'm gonna drive, you have to get accomplished what I would do if I wasn't driving. So like and she's awesome. That's why she is my wife. Like she understands. So she was charting shots for me. But do you think she appreciated that during work yes, on I do. vacation? I, I do. I think she did. Okay. Driving six hours, I think she appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Some people would be mad about That's our working, way to connect, though. Like, that's who we are. Vacation. Yeah. I that's wouldn't cool. ask her to do it. I didn't ask her to do it when we got there. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was cool, though. Yeah, when we drove. Like, it didn't sound like it, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that. Had a problem sound like you had a problem with him. There's only like 404 shots. It's really not that much. Watch every shot. <laughs> Only 404. Could be worse. I mean, if you, if you do the math on that, each flip, each flip is about four seconds. So, you know, 400 times four is 1,600. No, she definitely, like, enjoyed Like, she didn't have a problem. Yeah, really not that much. Like, it turns out to less than 30 minutes, I think, right? What's 1,600 divided by 60? That's what I appreciate. Well, I, not, that math Ash. might be wrong. Ash, get, get it done. That's, do the math, Ash. Let's go. You're embarrassing us. This is our statistician. Seven. Probably less than a half hour. Not guaranteed. In the 20s. Joe called you all last time about this, and we're still not prepared. It's not even. It's like 20, 27 minutes. Yeah, so in all reality, on a six-hour drive, you know, she loves me enough to take 27 minutes of her time to get something accomplished. Yeah, she didn't She didn't complain. About, that's what I thought was dope about it. Like, she yeah. didn't really care about She's it. the best. She's not like, oh, I'm on vacation. Don't get me wrong. You know how hard it is to be married to me. I mean, you know, she's... This is Joe Mazzula we're talking to. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in. It's not a uh, 19-year-old Joe. How, how hard is it to be married? Like, what, why would you say that? Why do you say it's hard to be married to you? I mean, I just about. think... It's getting to it. <laughs> I mean, it takes... You know, I mean, you know, I think as men, we are who we are. So, you know, for me, what makes it hard is 
you know, we, I mean, John and I talked about this on vacation. Um, we talked about what are the four most important things. If you gave like an order, what's important in life? So like for me, and it sounds generic, but in reality it is, is like God, family, and career. But sometimes my career is tied for second with my family. And what you mean by, and I think a lot of coaches or professional players it is, is like sometimes you're doing something that is for your career that is getting in the way of your family. You can't run from that. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to make sure that there's communication and there's a foundation in which your family understands. So leaving my wife for, and kids for eight months to go coach, that's putting career first, but it's also putting family first. So like when people ask, put your priorities in order, number one for me would be God no matter what, but the other ones are going to change. You know, in the middle of a season, yes, family is important, but my wife is strong enough to take on most of what's going to happen because I got to worry about this. If I don't worry about this, we ain't going to have a, <laughs> we're not going to be a family. <laughs> so, you know, I think those bottom three are going to change. So why it's hard for her is because I, like he said, I'm watching film at dinner. Like that's a natural, that's a daily occurrence. So sometimes I blur the lines of career and family, whereas like, I feel like I have to get this accomplished when in reality it's, it, it can wait. Also, I found um, interesting. You separated in your list of priorities, you separated your wife and family. Yeah, I mean, I think they're two separate entities. I think marriage and family are two separate things. I think family <laughs> is holistic approach, but at the same time, what you see a lot of coaches, especially coaches. So, like, my wife and I go to a marriage retreat. Over 50% of coaches are divorced. So what happens is family comes important, but there's an aspect of where, like, your wife is blended into family instead of marriage itself. And I think you have to separate that. So, like, you have to have So she's your family now. We're family, so like my family is important. Making sure it's we're all aligned, connected, safe psychologically, we're on the same page. But there's also another aspect of it, which is my what our marriage, like husband. So we just went on vacation without the kids. That's working on your marriage. Going to a marriage retreat where kids aren't allowed. That's working on marriage. Now you go on vacation with your kids. That's working on your family. How do you interact? So I think sometimes people who get in the situations they blend those, and it's like, well we're working on our marriage by going on a family vacation. Like, that's impossible to do that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 100% because yeah. the yeah. kids seem to take the precedence whenever you're with them. Yeah, so then, like, know? that's the other part of me, why it's hard to marry me, is sometimes I'll count time with my kids as, like, oh, we spent time together. I was watching the kids. And it's like, that's not, that's not time. Like, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think you have to separate it. You can be a really good dad and a bad husband. 100%. You can be a really good husband and a bad dad. So, like, you have to separate them and ask yourself, where are you at? Where are you working on those things? So just out of curiosity, when you're watching film at dinner or things like that, if your wife were to be like, Joe, I need your attention. She wouldn't do that. Okay. That's why, what if she were? That's why we're married. She yeah. she's like, she's she what if she were? she would do at all? I wouldn't get that. Okay, I've never watched film like the family goes out to Outback or something. I don't lug in the laptop. Like, <laughs> if it's just me and my wife and we're and and we're, I'll do it more. Yeah. But when it's the kids, I don't do that as much. So like, I, I wouldn't. I'd like to think that I've learned the balance of like, okay, this is completely a waste of time right Preach now. Preach it, Joe. Can I mean, imagine you bringing a laptop with, like, all the kids? Yeah, and like, like, oh, heck, they, that's an argument waiting to happen. <laughs> like, are you going to get him? Are you going to get him? I'm like, oh, my God. All right, so what are you looking forward to as your, your first year? Yeah. Uh, so just looking forward to um, seeing how much I don't know, mm -hmm. I guess, on the standpoint of uh, where am I at from a learning? Do I understand the game the way, um, you know, the organization wants it understood? Um, you know, from a scouting standpoint or stuff like that. So just really looking forward to knowing what I don't know and learning how, and figuring out how to learn that. 
um, throughout time, and it's it's a different schedule. Mm. So in college, you know, we play our first game is the second week in November, and we're done in March. And now our first game is the second to last week in October, and hopefully be done in June. So. You know, there's a lot of things that I'm going to have to learn from a personal standpoint to make sure that I'm mentally and emotionally prepared for a longer season. You know, so that way, um, you know, they're, I'm getting, they're getting the best of me. You mm-hmm. know, what, what I learned in the G League was by February I was, I was emotionally drained, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't understand how to manage a 50-game season with practice every single day. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to February, um, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't being a good assistant because I just put my head down worked it worked 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 didn't take a rest and didn't learn how to manage myself mm-hmm. you know so that's something that I've been studying this offseason is like how do I manage myself to make sure I have the emotional energy to get through a whole year and and not crash you know what have you learned in your like your short time though like just your small time being there just like not it doesn't have to be anything like super I mean, like, I personal think, or anything but it's more or less like uh just little things like, yeah I, mean, I think like I said I think um you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about is the way people think. Uh, so, you know, you got to train, and I believe in this, you know, I believe in brain training and stuff like that, but I think you got I got to train my brain differently to look, to see, to see different things. You know, what I was, look, what I trained myself and my brain to think as a head coach for a Division Two program is not the same how I'm training my brain to look as a NBA assistant coach watching 82 games. So I have to find the little 1% areas that you would notice in an NBA game that aren't in a D2 game. Um, so just, you know, that's why I watch as much film as I can. You know, I'm a believer, as you, you know, you put your brain through certain things. So I'm watching stuff and watching trends so that when the game comes, it, it's second nature to me. Because if I'm watching a college Division two game, I'm not going to see same 80% of the yeah. things that are in an NBA game. So, and, and honestly, everybody that I'm coaching with and coaching against have watched way more NBA games than I have. So they've gotten more reps. Yeah. Their brains have gotten more reps. So I need to get as many reps as possible to say, oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that rotation. I saw that move. I saw that situation. I saw that defensive scheme. And I saw that substitution pattern. I saw that. And, and I, I, my brain can't see that yet. <clears throat> like the, to, to that point you just made, what about coaches? Do you, like, watch them as well? Are you, like, learning from your, like, whether it be the people that you're getting ready to coach with this year or other coaches that you met throughout yeah. your time, like in summer league and so on and so That's forth. That's a great question. So, yeah, I'm always – I think no matter what, and you have to be consciously aware of this, a team is going to take on the personality of the head coach. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen that personally. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm really uncomfortable about is I don't know the NBA the way I know, knew Fairmont's conference. Mm-hmm. So I knew going into a game I had played against the same players for a couple years. Yeah. But the biggest competitive advantage that I felt like I had was – I studied each personality of the opposing coach. Mm. So I knew what their team was really about in certain situations. So I knew this team was going to do this. I knew this coach was going to rely on an ATO. I knew this coach wasn't going to call a timeout, so maybe I can call the timeout to mess up his rhythm. I knew this coach was going to panic and go zone. I knew this coach was going to just do his stuff and not. I knew this coach was going to have a completely different game plan. Mm. So you can study coaches personalities and, and tendencies that's and realize that yeah. that's what their team's going to do. Yeah. So I was really comfortable. Yeah. Now there's way smarter and better coaches yeah, and players yeah. than I am, so like I don't know that. So I feel like I'm not prepared right yeah. now. So i got to watch as much as I can to be prepared. But, yeah, I, I do watch coaches. I do watch their personalities, and I do believe that a coach is going to – a team is going to take on their head coach's personality, whether the head coach is aware of it or not. No. Now, it's not even if there's, like, a good team or a bad team regardless, like – yeah, I mean, I think a team is going to take on their coach's personality for the good, 
And I think you see teams take on their coach's personality for the bad. And I, I think you just naturally are going to see that. And um, I mean, there's numerous examples within my head coaching career at Fairmont that, you know, those for the most part came true. You know, you're playing West Liberty, you know they don't like calling timeouts, so they're not going to call one. So you either have to make a certain decision to call one to, to mess up their rhythm or, you know, for example, and this is kind of one of the schemes that you see in European basketball, you're up one or up two and you're on defense and the shot clock's off, do you foul? Yeah. So I, I always foul. So we were up two at home <coughs> against um, West Liberty. It was 106-104, or maybe it was 104-102. We were up two, they had the ball, the shot clock was off. I knew West Liberty, the way they play, they're going to trust their offense and not call a timeout. Yeah. Most coaches would t call a timeout and let you make a defensive adjustment. Exactly. They didn't, so we fouled. Yeah. That puts the game in our court to where now they make two free throws, but now we have the ball with 10 seconds left, and they're in the uncomfortable situation because they don't like being on defense at the end. They like being on offense. So I was able to make that adjustment because I knew what their program and their coach was about. Um, so it's, it's finding competitive advantages like that. So that only relates to that situation. It's not you as a coach. Like If you're coaching another school, that's more defensive. You were relying on your defense to win that game. So then another example was like the, there's another coach who now I'm really good friends with, but he is he's going to run his sets, um, and he is going to. So like we played a team where Fairmont presses, West Liberty presses, and the question when you press is like how can we speed them up? So my six years in the league, it was always how could you speed this team up? And you spend so much emotional energy trying to speed them up, but you realize at the end of the day, they're a hard-nosed, they're a gritty team, they're going to run their stuff, and you can't speed them up. So I just did the exact opposite. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to play even slower than he wants to play. And I know it's going to mess with him because he'll panic because he won't realize. He, his brain won't realize that he's actually losing tempo of the game slower. Yeah. He thinks it's just going to go that way. Exactly. So we put in, a, and I learned that. And you talk about little failures. So this was against a team two years ago that we had a 35 to 40 home game win streak, and their team came in, and he did that to me. And they beat us and snapped our home game win streak and actually left us out of the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. so did he know he did that to you, though? No, he or didn't. He just, but I was aware of it. I was aware of it. I was aware of it. So, like, coming in full circle, we, you always play the same teams every year, yeah. same schedule, because, mm -hmm. like, the conference. So we were playing the same. We were playing. It was almost the same exact circumstances. And we, both teams needed to win to get ahead in the NCAA tournament. It was towards the end of the year. The only difference was it was a home game and not a, it was an away game, not a home game. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to learn from that last year. I know this guy personality is he's going to stick to X, Y, and Z. Where can I mess him up and really where he won't psychologically see it? Mm -hmm. So we put in a game plan to where um, we shifted into a zone in the middle of the possession because his team is so used to running. Like their average time of set was like 14 seconds. So like they wouldn't know we were zone until 14 seconds into the shot clock. So if it's a 30-second shot clock, it takes five to get over. That's 25. Then by the time they're done running their set, you're down to 11. Then they don't even realize that it's zone. Now you switch to pick and roll, and then you have them hung up. Yeah. Um, so the first 10 minutes of the game, I didn't even care about the game. Mm -hmm. All I cared about was executing that. So I knew what plays they were going to run, and I was like, on these plays, we're flexing into a zone. They won't know until there's 10 seconds left. They're either going to get a shot that they're not used to taking, mm -hmm. or they're going to set a pick and roll, and we're going to switch it, and now they have to make a one-on-one -on -one play under 10 seconds. So that's another example of using someone's personality and their team's tendencies against themselves.
Do you have a? Um, I'm sorry, I don't that's know that nuts, was. by the way. Yeah, it's I was, just like warfare. My, my, brain is, my brain is firing. Like I'm trying to tell the the, the coaches podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of coaches will turn tune into this and learn some coaching methods. I can't wait to run into y'all later, though. I know y'all scout reports. Do you have a, a mentor, a coaching, a coach that you look up to, or I wouldn't say try to be like, but um, I guess a coach that you look at as like, wow, if I could kind of mirror my career after his do you have anybody like that no i mean i think i try to just steal from everybody so like there's always one thing you can take from someone um so when i first got into coaching you know and i love hugs he's the best i did i wanted to try to forget everything he taught because i didn't want to be that i wanted to be myself and you know you have to be yourself so it's not that i said oh what he does doesn't work it's just like i'm not hugs i haven't won 800 games I can't yell at guys the way he does because I haven't won games yet. So where can I find my identity? So it was like I can't go into a practice and be like, this is how Hugs did it, so I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. you got to find your own identity. So I'm just studying different coaches and say, okay, I can learn this from that guy. You know, from like, And I think that's why I try not to limit who I study from. So from Brad, it's like unbelievable uh, communicator, great ATOs. Obviously a lot more, but yeah. on the outside looking in, that's what you would learn from Brad. You know, What's from, the ATO? After timeout play, um, you know Steve Kerr. Stop you know, like Steve Kerr is huge into mindfulness and meditation and like joy. So I could study that from him. You know Popovich, his relationship with his players. Tony Bennett, how do you apply your faith to your organization without compromising yourself? So like I think there's one or two things from every coach that you can learn and then apply it to where it fits you. What you What you learn from Coach Hawkins? He has a great ability to like not take things personal. So like I think why people love him so much is like he'll do what he does on the court to you, mm-hmm. but he won't treat you any differently as a person off the court. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, that's sure. important. Yeah. Because people are going to piss you off and they're going to upset you and they're going to make mistakes, but he had an innate ability to not treat you any differently if you missed a game winner or if you sucked for four games, you know, and he still saw you as a person. Yeah. And the other thing I think was just the ability to control a community and like fundraise and how do you build your brand. Like you talk about you talk about branding a lot like hugs is probably one of the best at branding without using social media like he's just authentic mm-hmm. he communicates he values relationships you know when he's out in the community he he knows people he knows guys names he knows their kids names he never says no to a fundraising opportunity to get out into the community so just that relentless pursuit to build your brand through the community i think is you know is what he taught what, he, what i learned from him the most so would you say you have like what would you say your coaching style is or have you found one keep that question i learn i use beeline more now than i did when i listen to beeline more now through (laughs) film than i did when i played for (laughs) beeline was ahead of his time right like so you know i i use a lot of the individual drills with my teams that beeline used you know and his his skill development um what he was ahead of his time in that and the way he taught people how to shoot the ball he was ahead of his time and you know his look at look at what he's done from michigan so like and he was huge into sports psychology, you know, yeah. and that's the part that I didn't like when I was a player because, like, I knew I was sucking. I didn't want to see the, like, ah, get him the next time. What was, was his like, name? What was the guy's name we used to have to sit down and talk to? Wow. It's like, yeah, so how's things going, yeah, Dave? sports psychologist. Oh, bro, we had this guy. Tony Alorado, <laughs> which I still talk yeah, to. Yeah, Tony Alorado. Yeah, so, like, he was. Yeah, Beeline was ahead of his time from a sports psychology standpoint. Like, he wasn't going – he found creative ways on how to have conversations. Like, I'll never forget a game plan against NC State was we had to be muckers. Right, that like was that was thing. a way that for us, like, I don't know what that means. A mucker was exactly. He just made it up because it stuck. So, so yeah. like from 
Muckers was like, we had to be the tougher team. We had to yeah. get offensive rebounds. We had to muck okay. up the paint. Like, we, we normally had to just... weren't doing that. Oh, so, okay, like, okay. that was his, like, uh, approach to that game okay, to make okay. us play and uh, harder. He, or whatever and the other thing that Beeline does is Muckers. he created a language. A short word like, for... So, Beeline is... <laughs> before, before, I think, where coaching is going... And I think where it's going is like people are studying the brains and there's a, such a psychology and a mindfulness aspect to it. Beeline had a language for everything, and that triggers your mind. So, like, if we wanted to run a play, the way he named his playbook, you know, Guard Through Herm. Names. Guard Through Herm is instead of calling it like you see coaches just call like, you know, 52 or something. Yeah. Like, 52 doesn't trigger your memory to yeah. run the play. Mm-hmm. It doesn't trigger your retention. Whereas guard through Herm speaks to you and you're able to go through that and you can make it, you know? Guard through high road, guard through low road. Like so, football and stuff like that. When yeah. I first heard it, I just like, this is or funny. Or like Tiger like, handback. Yeah. So like, so you just had like audibles out the plays. Like, yeah, yeah like it wasn't, and it's not complicated yeah. because it's a, it's a language. It's no different than, you know, when we speak English, mm-hmm. plural or, or singular. And so when I became a head coach, I created a language. You're able to make adjustments on the fly yeah. because you have a set way of communicating so it made it so much. It made it so much yeah. easier for us to learn the plays, though. Like it was insane. Uh-huh. No, seriously. Like it was strange to me that people couldn't grasp the offense. Like Joe knew the offense in and out, like before I did. And it was just like you hear something, it'll stick in your head, a shoelace or whatever the case may be, and then you will hear that and he'll say it, and then it's just like you run down yeah. the court, you know exactly what everybody's on the same, the same page. Mm. We all look at each other like, all right, yeah. but like we know what we're doing. So, a, so I did that with my team at Fairmont on defense. So we created a defensive language, and it was built on an animal kingdom. So a shark was a trap. So instead of saying trap, you say shark, that triggers a more aggressive strand in, yeah. in your brain to where it's not like we got to shark that so it's just more demonstrative it's kind of like what Joe Alexander trying to do with the, the boss yeah, nah definitely wasn't the color green and black, black and, and yellow. yellow I mean people use colors people use colors yeah, I chose no. animal kingdom no. so no, this, not, this is a little bit different this than that this is like hey, we don't need to get into that hey fellas we're doing this or I'm punching you in the face that was one of those kind of dudes Take me home through those country roads, Mountain Mama. What's the ultimate goal for you? Like, what is what is your what is your end game, so to speak? Or is it too early in your career that you don't even know what what that Where's may be? Take, I mean, yeah. I think it's too early. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know. Um, you know, I think it's just over the world. I think I just take as a coach. <laughs> Work your way to president. Um, you know, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. The number one thing is to always be where God wants us to be. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have a plan for myself. Four years from now, he may say, we need you to go here. And, you know, whether I like it or not, it's our responsibility to go. So that's first and foremost. But obviously, I have my own personal ones. I think, um, you know, in the next 10 years, I'd like to try to see where I'm at from an NBA head coaching standpoint. I know it's cutthroat. I know there's only 30 jobs in the world. Um, so it can be hard. But I wouldn't have made this move if I didn't think I could try and get there mm-hmm. um, in 10 years or so. So I think it reset, you know, three years ago. Four years ago, I wanted to be a head coach, you know, and that happened. And then, uh, so now it's just kind of being patient and just learning to what I need to learn for the next. I've always been a guy that's like, I need, you know, what do I need to learn to get to where I want to go? Mm-hmm. So if I want to be, you know, let's say an NBA head coach in 10 years, then I got to start learning X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get that opportunity until God feels like I've learned those things. 
Gotcha. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Would you want? So we talked to Hugs about when he's KJ had the bold question of asking Hugs when he's gonna be done. It's a bold question. It's a yeah. Pretty bold. Is it? Very much so. When a man is like, that's the question that everyone asks him, and, and they're very worried about health and so on and so forth. I'm worried about you. Not worried about his health. I'm very worried, especially behind the I scenes when I could talk to him about, about it. <laughs> not just throwing his personal. Hey, you gonna make it? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Kevin uh, Jones here. How you feeling today? <laughs> You're still <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Jones, health doctor. <laughs> That's funny. But when oh, feeling, man. baby, when hugs, he said oh, he doesn't. I think he said he doesn't see retirement in their future, or he's he's just gonna keep going till he, doesn't you know, just wakes up and doesn't want to do it anymore. You know, so would that be? Is that on your list of things? Like, would you want to be the head coach of WV Wonder? I mean, I think it's a timing thing. You know, if it happens. You gonna cross your legs, please? Why? He sits like that. Like we just. Listen, he can go guest. He can do what he wants. I think it's a. T- it's just a. That's timing a push thing. too, Ash. You know, guests can't just I do think, whatever they want. Right. You can't. Obviously, there's right a lot of other great candidates who would be up for that. And it's a timing thing. If the, if it ever came and that opportunity was granted, we just have to see uh, where we were at that time, my family and I, and what we thought was best. So. Um, it's on the list, but it's on the list at the right time. It would like sense. if you were to become the head coach, W. I'm not gonna lie, I might shed a tear because it's like, <laughs> like almost. I said, there's a lot of other people who have worked really hard who yeah, are in a position definitely. to be there as well. So, um, you know, like let's just for example, let's just say it came two years from now. I don't think that'd be the right time. I don't think I would be a candidate for it either way. Yeah. Um, I think there's other people who are on the list, but um, I think it's definitely something that I would highly consider to give back to the people of West Virginia. Yeah, most just definitely. I'm talking about like years down years. the road. That'd be crazy. You wouldn't be ready for it in two years, but would you consider it in two years? If they considered me, I, you would have to. But you never know. It just kind of depends. Sure. Literally, I'm talking about. I think I'll it's watch, a timing issue. I watch you do cartwheels down this street. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you. No, a lot of things. I know. Where you put John Actually, on you know your what? Staff. Let's just lead that. Let's lead it yeah. at that. Will you put John on your staff if you if you get the coaching job, head coaching job ever at WVU? We're on high street, by the way. <laughs> what capacity? Coach Hall. Coach Hall. I just want to be. Have a chair set up right by the side. I just want to be Skeeter. I just want to be, be director of marketing. The Dobo? No, it's not. It's Domo. Director of marketing. Is that even a, a position? Did you just say director, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> director. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we make a fun of pronunciations now. <laughs> I butchered. Uh, what did I just butcher? Differentiate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that and you said pronunciations. Pr- just pronunciations. <laughs> but we won't, we won't go into that one. Pronunciation. The, pronunci- the dictionary uh, of John Flowers. Oh my God. New Merriam-Webster. Pronunciations. New Merriam-Webster. But I just want to be the driver. I just want to be the skeeter of the the whole operation. He's like a marketing guy, isn't he? What does he do? Is he? Oh, I think he does. No one knows. What does he do around here? Like I said, I think it all kind of depends. Right now, I'm really excited where I'm at. It's a new, it's a new challenge. I love professional coaching i love what the nba offers i love the details that you know comes with it and uh, would you hire me as assistant coach uh probably not uh, no <laughs> so, so why not out of nowhere just like today that's, that's, a, good, that's a good avenue to t- that's a good, good thing for us to talk about is like you know wherever you're at how do we transition from you know because you guys are in a unique situation it's like what happens after playing what's the next step you know i want to be a coach i know that much <laughs> and, yeah so like there's a lot not, of, why you don't want to be a coach right. because i don't want to have to manage egos and babysit oh, but here's the thing though here's for other people it's not all right but kj not, that's the I, problem I that's but, what yeah, how i see it that's how i see it but that's the issue 
is well, no matter what job you have, you're going to manage egos and mm -hmm. deal with sure. other people. That's like, sure. yeah. tell me a job that you want to be successful at where there's not going to, you don't think there's egos in this Crazy. radio but station? He's, but he's no. not, he's not responsible. personally responsible yeah. Yeah. for you. He's not, like, he's not I would be like, a, I mean, if, if you ever want to get, don't you ever want to get to the point where you might be a leader or a CEO of an organization? That's true. Then you're going to be responsible for other people. That's true. So, like, that's the problem where, like, our like our young youth, like when we're young, we don't see that everything's the same. Like it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're coaching, if you're a president of this radio station, if you own a nightclub on High Street. Kids, everything's the same. Relationships are important. You have to manage egos, and you know you gotta help people get to where they want to go. Like I never thought of it like that. There's I think no, there's I no difference. But now you do. That's why I will be interested in being like a coach, just because. The helping aspect, like helping these kids, like learn like different things, like like you just said, networking and and being nice to everybody and in the community and helping them with the game, stuff outside of basketball more than stuff inside. John's yeah. crying, y'all. And then you wouldn't be an assistant coach, you hear <laughs> yeah. director of player development. Yeah, you wouldn't be a coach. College? Do we have these titles? Yeah, have, you can. Director, yeah, you can if you want director to. Director of player personnel. Yeah, I think Coons is a title. First of all, title that doesn't really like, mean anything. A title is yeah. a title. Yeah. Like a title just. Usually a title is for a tax bracket to say, you know, you can make X amount of dollars. Like, we know a director mm -hmm. of basketball operations isn't going to make as much as a assistant. But, you know, it, it comes back to, like, who's your boss? What is he empowering you to do? And, you know, how are you getting your job done? Like, exactly. We think player development, it just means on-court workouts. Nah. Player development is so much more holistic than on-court workouts. Like, you'd be a great director of player development. Never seen you work guys out, but I know you'd help them off the court. Yeah. I don't know if you'd help them on the court. Yeah. I would um, just get my workouts from you, man. <laughs> there you go. The man works? is cheating the system. <laughs> See how that works? Yeah. But you, as a head coach at WVU, you think you would have less, like, responsibility? First of all, it's very far away. And not yeah, I'm just, <laughs> we'll speak of hypotheticals. Let's just say a head coach anywhere. We'll speak yeah. of hypotheticals. Let's just say head coach anywhere. A head coach at WVU, would you? Or head coach anywhere. Would Contain. you have less responsibility in the program as far as, like, managing those egos and all that other stuff that KJ doesn't like to do? No, you have to do that everywhere. Cause when I was when I was playing here though, I didn't talk, I didn't see hugs much outside of uh, you know what I'm saying practicing all that stuff. When I had to deal well, with, did you guys ask hugs the question like why Larry's been around so much and like hugs talked about like his empowerment towards him. Like, mm -hmm. So there's a situation where you know that's just great empowerment and leadership from hugs to allow his staff to to do what he wants. Right. Yeah. And Coach Harrison saw us a ton. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw Coach Harrison, Coach Harrison a lot. saw us a ton. Like, that was, yeah. I want to say he kept a good rotation of yeah. six, seven players where he just saw them daily, like, stop by my office. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. Right, like, like, if I had to see hugs, like, it was bad. You know, like, I if I had hugs, to go to his offices for a bad reason. Like, I think Hugs does trouble. a great job of empowering his assistants. You know, I think, um, you know, I, don't, I haven't been around in the last couple of years, but I think who flourished the most was Kettler. I think, like, mm. uh, Hugs trusted Kettler. To be to, the one. To, to just get things done, you know what I mean? From a culture standpoint, from an accountability standpoint, like that that's good empowerment. Think about that. We saw him when we got in trouble. We saw him every day in general. Like anytime somebody loved, they were BSing. Like Andy was at every practice. You'd had to see Andy. Keller built the culture. Yeah, he really like, did. Like it's. I, mean, I don't think he. I think helped. He I helped. think Hugs was he the visionary, it. and I he think the assistants do a great job of that. But I think one of the reasons why, like even with Nick Saban, one of the highest paid. People there is the strength coach, yeah. Because you you have their hands on them the most. Yeah. You know yeah. you can so, so you he, can lift six hours during the summer. Well, now the rules have changed, mm -hmm. but like over the last ten years, the strength coach was with them more than anybody else. Yeah. So he enforced 
That's what I meant. He yeah, enforced yeah. the culture more. Like than Coach Cochran at Alabama, like he gets the credit for like he's Nick Saban's right hand man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he enforces the culture and accountability. So how much power will you give me in the program? Not very much. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Are you upset? Look at his face. He's I got to check in with the head coach before I do anything. I mean, no matter who you are, you have to have alignment yeah. and responsibility. Probably won't even talk to the head coach. You'll be talking to the, uh, the assistant head coach. You'll be talking to his liar. I'd be like, Joe, yeah, we just made him flip the tile back. Don't worry about it. Are you talking about yourself as a shrimp coach? No, I'm not. I'm I, was I was like, I was like, wait, what? This game. Oh, you could be that too. I could be a stunt coach. Yeah. So, like, what do you guys want to do? Two stunt coaches that probably What do you want to do after you're done playing? I don't know yet. I want to do, honestly, I want to do broadcasting and sports uh, analysis, like on on TV, like ESPN, something That's like cool. that. And this this is helping me kind of, you know, reveal more of my uh, personality and everything. So this is help me on that on that way, and maybe start at WVU games. I don't know how to how that works getting up the ladder and stuff like that but eventually be on ESPN doing sports analysis because I like talking sports so that's been a thing that you see is like how do players former players transition into their next life Mm -hmm. yeah you know and and what does that look like the the NBA Players Association helps a lot with that stuff though right I think I don't know I haven't really Mm. my first year I don't really know you went to the camp I mean like the seminar these two guys yeah I went to the seminar I didn't yeah and they they talk about stuff like that. They talk about numerous things. Talk about but everything. that was one of the one of the things like they they're willing to like you know put you in the right position and help you if you need the help. You just got to call them. They can literally help you with anything. What do you want to do today? Sheesh, I'm stuck between wanting to coach and uh, possibly just wanting to develop players. Yeah, it's in between there. I'm trying to figure out if there's. I mean, there's definitely ways I can do both. I'm trying to figure out which route I would like to do that in. Yeah. Respect. You know what I want to do? I just want to be a boss. <laughs> yeah, John's looks like an entrepreneur, apparently. Yeah. Let us know you're listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Final Forecast. Or send us an email at finalforecast at gmail.com. Any more questions, John? Uh... This was you your chance. Really, I was actually really nervous to come on. This you're really good. Nothing to be nervous about. Because it's John. You never know it's why. Not that experience. That we don't know what he's gonna say. So. Wait, he's he's, he's on this kick now of documenting me. Anywhere, <laughs> <laughs> so literally. Anyways, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. It actually might have been the first podcast that I've done where I was really open about everything. Yeah, you were really serious. Really, yeah. Actually, it was a lot of fun. So thank you, and whoever's listening, thank you for. You know, I've always felt like. Especially in West Virginia, it was, uh, that's one thing we can kind of end on is nobody realized I've lived here for 13 years. So, like, this is, to me, this is just as much home as my hometown yeah. is because I grew the most in yeah. mm-hmm. West Virginia. You know, I went through what I went through in college. I felt like I've grown mentally, emotionally, and spiritually more here in West Virginia than I did in Rhode Island. Oh, yeah, you've been through a lot here. I met my wife here. I had my kids here. We had our first house here. I had my first head coaching job here. So we're leaving all that behind. And I think the biggest thing that my wife and I are trying to remember is, like, everybody helped me and my family get to where we're at. You know, mm-hmm. there's always been someone, especially here, there's always someone who went out of their way to make sure I was trying to be better. Yeah. You know, and that's a compliment to just the West, people of West Virginia in general, um, is they never went a situation where they weren't trying to help me get better. And, you know, that's something that my wife and I will always remember about West Virginia. Um, that's why I feel obligated to give back to them, you know. At the same time, I'm really excited about going home, being the person that I am now, and having a positive effect on the people around me. Um, 
because I felt like the people from my hometown don't really know who I am as a person because I left so young right. that I didn't have a foundation or an identity when I left home. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about going home and just showing my family, showing the people around me my foundation and my identity and who I am. So just yeah. thank everybody who have played a small part in helping us to get to where we are. Nice. That's awesome. And you're actually the first, one of the first guests to thank the people that listen to our show. Yeah. So thank you. I don't even do that. <laughs> yeah. I know, and he's here. Right? Right, everybody. I wouldn't even do that. Bye. Bye. <laughs> there we go. Uh, keep that yeah, one. Yeah, you gotta keep, keep that, that one. one. Keep, that, keep one. that one. Why are you mugging on Ashy like that, bro? <laughs> what you said? Uh, Wanna talk uh, close what you said? Day, wanna finish it out? Well, I don't wanna be the first person to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> sick joke. Anyhow, well, well on that note, I <laughs> uh, wanna thank you guys for listening to the Final Forecast podcast. We had a great show today. I'm your host, Deshaun Butler. It's your boy, Jay Floats. Kevin Jones. With our lovely host, Ashley. That's me. Thank you guys for listening. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>